Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who have great personalities. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to episode 218 for February 9th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about pore filling. Do you need to use a lot of different glues and starter carving chisels? So all that and more coming up. But first, let's thank a few folks who helped us out with uh, supporting links. And we've got a couple of those links on the left-hand side of woodtalkshow.com. And they are donation links where you could do either a small amount every month, if you were so kind, or just a single one-time donation. So we'd like to thank Scott McWilliams, Archie Kinnear, John Sherrard, Sue Bednars, Steve Gamberg, Robert Zarma, and Scott Langford. Thank you so much, everybody, for that. We truly appreciate it. It really helps to offset hosting costs. And uh, once again, Matt's Taco Bills, very expensive. The man- I do love the shredded steak. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, he loves his tacos. So, And I will not, like, you know, come down for anything. No, it's got to be that. It will not come down to like any kind of that ground beef yes, stuff. It's very expensive Mexican food. So, all right. So let's just uh, jump right into the good stuff here. What's on the bench for me? Not a whole lot of variety this week. I'm still plugging away at the dresser. I'm sorry, the chest of drawers and the nightstands. And uh, it's just a lot of mortises. Like, when you do one project with mortise and tenon joints, you get to that point sometimes where you're like, ah, oh, there's quite a bit of mortising going on here. Then you realize you actually have three projects because two nightstands, one chest of drawers. And then because I'm doing slip tenons or loose tenon construction, it's double the number of mortises because the tenon is going to be cut separately. So uh, it's been several days worth of just focusing on the mortising operations. Uh, but I got to tell you, it is very fun when you have a multi-router to help you with that process. Mm, I can see that. That's right. Definitely. That is right. The multi-router. So I have a question. Why? I mean, obviously, because it's cool. That's why I use the multi-router. Yes. But why not go with something like a domino? In this particular situation, there is no reason why we couldn't have done that. That would okay. have been perfectly viable for this project. Because you have the big, the bigger domino, right? Yeah, the 700. Yep. The, and and I think even big. for this project, the domino 500 would have been adequate. The largest ones would have been fine. I probably would have done a double one side by side because it's a eight quarter stock and I wouldn't have wanted just a little skinny mortise and tendon joint. So yeah, the domino would have been perfectly okay for this project. It was just I wanted to show it was something I actually asked guild members ahead of time. Do you guys even want to see this thing? Is it upsetting to you to see a really expensive tool (laughs) or do you, are you intrigued by it? As long as I show you another alternative way that's more approachable with uh, more, you know, tools that most of us have. Uh, And everybody was like, yeah, let's see it. Let's do it. Just make sure you show us that alternative method too. So I was like, well, all right, let's, uh, let's just, peel the the wrapping off and get this thing going because uh, it was brand new. This was the first project I used it on. So um, love it. I guess Absolutely probably where it. the domino would start to fall down is if you had like crazy angled stuff. Well, the, the so, you know, the which domino. Which is what I think of when I think multi-router. I think, sure, yeah. You know, chairs and things like that. The multi-router is definitely more versatile, but the domino can do so much, even with angles, uh, because you've got that nice angled fence, or there's always a way to do it with the domino, but you're limited because if you think about it, your tendons are pre-made, so they only get so wide and so thick 
before you have to come up with another way to do it or use multiples in a particular joint. Um, you know, there's a few other examples, making splines, um, making little jigs and fixtures that would go on the multi-router and then routing into those. There's so many things. It's much more versatile. Someone even um, was was kind of grilling me on this on the, on the Wood Whisperer website about like, what can it do that the Domino can't? Um, and it was, it's hard to find specific examples, but the Blacker House Chair Project, I've got a video of that one. Uh, that's a great example if you want to see it doing things that the Domino probably is not going to be able to accomplish. Um, so good examples there, but I'm just... Uh, it's, well, it's, it's, and it's a- I think of Brian Boggs a lot because he's built, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, a multi-router. Yeah. It's a custom thing that he built and it's, you know, it's so specifically tuned for those weird angled... Uh, joints that he mm-hmm. has on so many of his different designs. And when you say multi-router, I immediately, first I think David Marks. Yep, me too. <laughs> and then I just think of chair making. Yep. Which brings my next question is multi, who makes a multi-router? Is that a brand? Or it's, a, well, the multi-router I imagine is a, a trademarked brand, if I'm not mistaken, but it's by JDS. Uh, yeah, JDS oh, okay. is the company. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the multi-router in and of itself is kind of like, you know, TM type thing. But uh, yeah, so for me, David Marks, all the way same thing watched woodworks years ago and you know finally like a decade later i'm at the point that i could afford and justify purchasing one Um, i just wanted to go like play with it because all the different handles and how it moves and all those different (laughs) is it a great yeah and you know what it seems like a cool thing just to kind of figure out how it actually works it's kind of neat it is but it's also very confusing at first if you've never used one before you're you're like okay i'm gonna do this mortising operation but now i have to adjust the height and i'm gonna turn this here um it's one of those things where you may very easily inadvertently like lose one of your settings because you turn the wrong knob <laughs> instead of tightening down one thing, you're loosening it. And next thing you know, it's, you just screwed up your whole you know setup that you had. Uh, it does it's, get a little it's bit interesting. I, I think there's actually a space that could be filled in like online woodworking video where I don't know, we, we all seem to be afraid to like pull out the really fancy tools, but mm-hmm. I'd be fascinated to watch somebody like, really take a multi-router through its paces and show what it can do for that matter i'd love to see somebody do that with like cnc or whatever you know the the really really high-end tools that the average mortal can't possibly get their their hands on sure to me i just think it'd be cool because there's no way i'd ever buy one but 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 it's fun to watch cool you know yeah three axis cnc machining you know insert pile of lumber outcomes chair it's just cool. You know, I feel yeah. that way every time I watch the uh, How It's Made shows, like on the Science Channel exactly. or Discovery Channel it's, and stuff. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. I just sit there and watch that and I'm like, that's insane. How do I get that in the basement? Well, and that, that's the only reason those shows exist is because people sort of almost like voyeuristically want to be on the outside looking in of these amazing tools and things that they'll probably never afford, never want. But you like to watch things go together. You like to watch this stuff work. So why not? Yeah, you I need that cool uh, Bugs Bunny music in the background. When I was at Woodworking in America this past year, uh, the multi-router was there. And that was the one video that Highland Woodworking asked me to go over and just get some snippets for it for some something on their website. And uh, the gentleman who was demonstrating it was probably – that was the closest I ever came to probably getting swatted at with yeah. a camera. <laughs> I definitely – I, I'm pretty sure I was the fly in his soup that day. he was not very much uh, accommodating to me. <laughs> what a what a bad sport. Well, you know, the thing is, it's a very difficult tool to film. 
Uh, because mm-hmm. as you're pushing the plate forward, the workpiece is getting real close to the router. It's just a router on its side with a lot more stuff in the way. So it's actually a really difficult thing to convey with video. It's just right. hard to see. It is, it absolutely, because there's a lot of moving parts going on in there. But it is, it's absolutely neat, some of the things that you can do with it. So it sure, yeah. should be fun to watch. And yeah. then you're going to pass it along, right? That's that's the, uh, the yes, plan. Yes, yes. Uh, what's your address again? I'll send it over. You know what? I'm just going to come out and visit. I'll grab it. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, for make what? sure you send it for signature delivery, though, because stuff walks away from Matt's front porch. That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really hope when those guys <laughs> open that box with those two hand saws in it, they're like, Really? Seriously? What? Yeah. But they're not even painted, man. Oh, there's no <laughs> landscape on this one. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Shannon, what about you? Uh, I'm still plugging away on commission work. I got my first little display shelf done, but I'm kind of holding off on finishing because I'm just going to put the same finish on all three of them. So I figure, well, not that I need a lot of excuse to hold off on finishing, but <laughs> I figure I'll wait until I get all three of them done. So I got started on this little uh display stand plant stand she's got this like prize winning orchid so i'm i'm actually pulling something straight out of um oh what was it called uh furniture in the southern style glenn hewing bob lang did it i don't want to say 2011 is when that book came out Mm -hmm. it's measured drawings from the um uh mezda museum down in south carolina is that the really new point that you have to be a member of? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Good stuff. Well, so it's, uh, you know, this is, I think I said at the outset, she's got three pieces and they're going in three different rooms that have totally different styles. And the first one was kind of a contemporary, like art gallery type room. And this is like what she calls her sitting room. I guess really, really wealthy people would call it the solarium. Oh, sitting and, room. And um, where she's got her uh, plants and things plants and things so this is just a a neat little kind of very simple uh plant stand so i just got started on that nice and it's fun and about 30 minutes ago somebody knocked on the door and delivered a whole bunch of track lighting stuff so that's gonna be my next thing to tackle on the shop is put up new lights i've seen your posts on facebook about lighting and i'm like what is he getting into over there (laughs) it's like (laughs) look what i can do with this color and look at this color (laughs) man new smart bulbs are just the coolest yeah expensive but they're just cool they need to have a mood ring one that's attached to it. So then, you know, whatever your yeah. mood is, that's what the lighting will be. In the Vanuelist household with two teenagers, it'll be black all the time. Black <laughs> or maybe red. Right? Anger, uh, yes, anger or possibly. depression. <laughs> exactly. And both happen simultaneously. There you go. Cool. What about you, Matt? Well, the big thing for me, of course, getting ready to start the tall dresser. Uh, in fact, I'm quite a ways into it right now. I've got a couple of uh, big parts all taken care of. So it's moving along nicely. But unfortunately, this weekend, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, occasionally I do demo videos for manufacturers. And I was hired to do a full series for one particular company. I'm not going to say who they are, but they make some of those sign-making kits, like with the router, and you put the wood in there. and you go templates. Uh, that might be one of the companies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is the company. Actually, I, I don't think they have any problem uh, mentioning it whatsoever. Oops, but I was working on those this weekend. And at certain points, Milescraft became a uh, four-letter word for me. But to be quite honest with you, sometimes it's kind of fun just to play around with these really simple jigs and these really easy-to-use things. So I was end up ending up making like a whole bunch of those router signs. And it was funny because then I was like putting letters together and I'm like, what does the kids say the other day? 
Let's put that one together. <laughs> uh, nice. What really irritates me when somebody takes that one particular can of uh, my favorite soup out of the thing? Let me put this up there <laughs> to remind them not to do it. So there is a very good chance that the Vanderlust household will suddenly be inundated with a lot of router signs. So this is like the woodworker's version of when you get a label maker in the house <laughs> and you just la- exactly you label the crap out of everything, is. right? <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. It's, it's kind of gone going in that direction. I only have a couple of them up and it's like one of those up in the sense that like I've got them done. They're now on the wall. I got to finish like uh, uh, finishing them, putting some sort of paint or something on it. But yeah, it's definitely – Hmm, now, who who has a birthday coming up, and what can I route for them? Uh, nice. Way to go. Nice, man. Yeah. Cool. So that was that was pretty much the only thing that's really been happening in my shop lately. Okie dokie. Well, let's move into what's new. Uh, this is All where right. you guys uh, send us some stuff. You send it via email or on Facebook, wherever. Let us know some cool things that you found, and uh, why don't you guys grab those links there? Okay, well, this first one came in from Aaron, and... I really feel an affinity to this one because this is my old hometown. In fact, uh, watching this video, I was kind of looking for areas when I was in college that perhaps – well, anyways, never mind. I was looking for areas in Detroit. Uh, It says – Aaron says, I just ran into this story about guitars being built from recycled wood from Detroit buildings. I thought you might enjoy this for your show. So there's two websites. One is the – one of the local TV stations did an article talking about – Wallace Detroit guitars and using the recycled materials from the old homes and even some of the old uh, landmarks that are in and around Detroit as they're demolishing them they're actually going in and salvaging a lot of the timbers and usable materials and artists are just like picking this stuff up like insane and coming up with some amazing stuff now the second link is to Wallace Detroit guitars itself they have a really neat video where they kind of rehash everything that you see in the news article so take your choice watch either one watch one or the other whatever uh it's pretty much the same thing one thing i did think that was neat about this is i'm not sure if the salvage company that they're referring to we have a friend over on this side of the state who has te- mentioned before that he actually picks up salvaged lumber from uh, a resource in tourists in the church in the try and he makes a ton of furniture that he's traveling the country uh, with selling at like uh, all sorts of arts and crafts uh, markets and venues and stuff. So it's like one of those neat things where it's like, oh my gosh, I know somebody else who's doing something like this. This hmm. is just such a cool idea. Nice. Good stuff. Very cool. Uh, this is, uh, oh shoot, I'm on a different page. This comes from Tony. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Get with it, Shannon. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm actually watching, showing the video that he sent us. It, this kind of did its rounds uh, a couple months ago. It's called yeah. uh, Cleaning a Record with wood glue and i don't know that we ever talked about it here on the show but it's something i never would have thought of trying i mean it it, it's it's literal as it sounds the guy pours wood glue all over the record and then peels it off which to me just kind of fits that like innate desire to like peel things off Mm -hmm. right (laughs) kid who's ever picked a scab off his elbow or yep um that's what this comes from so this is like uh those um big face cleaning strip things that you put on your nose and it peel it all off. Yep. Uh, right. Yeah. Nice. Get a sponsor from them, but he just uses regular old tight bond. Uh, I think it's tight bond two he's using here. And, uh, I don't quite understand how it cleans up the scratches and stuff other than maybe it fills in some of the stuff that would cause the needle to skip. Seems but, like it would just pull that right back out. You know? Yeah, I would right. think so. 
Um, or but maybe I guess it, is, know, it, is it is it repairing more than scratches that makes oh. it? I was going to say, know, is it really key. like repairing the scratches, or is it just like embedded dust from? You from know, the I, I posted something about this last night, and now I've got to find it because somebody mentioned that it sounds like it's more like it's pulling that deep seated dust that's down in the grooves itself. And right. that seems to be what, what it's doing. So because I've got a friend that's really into vinyl and he said that, you know, he hasn't tried it yet. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, the theory is that the glue will fill in the microfine cracks, scratches, chips and clean up the crackling. Uh, so but if you listen to the video, it, it actually does kind of sound a lot better. I mean, I don't know if you like the music or not, but there's less uh, background crackling. That was my jam is what it was. Was that well, what it was? It, is that it your looks, ringtone? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it looks a lot like making a funnel cake. So if nothing else, you know. There's that. Yeah, that's right. true. Right. All right. The only thing, did you, like when he was peeling it off, uh, I didn't read the comments. He might have had some commentary about it, but I'm like, oh, he should have maybe peeled that off a little bit sooner, you know, because it was <laughs> it was like a thick, solid layer at that point. And I think there there's probably a ideal time to peel it off before it's truly hardened, uh, mm-hmm. that point where it's still a little bit flexible. The, actually, the fun part, like the when you peel Elmer's glue off your finger, like as a kid, or even our wood glue in the shop, that. like the point where it's gooey. But but definitely would come off completely. I think that might be a more ideal time to do it. But I would I would wait until it's dry, like he does in the video, and then see if you could play the glue. Yeah, play it back backwards, and it's like a Black Sabbath album. Yeah, all you need is a center <laughs> hole, and then you could play. So he, he just stumbled on a way to duplicate records. There you go. Ooh, wow. you know what's funny is. Uh, the uh, in the in the comments over at my Facebook post on this, somebody a little bit further down the line said something about no, there have been some really great albums that have been destroyed because they got the timing wrong, and apparently they let the glue set too wrong, too long. Yeah. And there's actually even a video that uh, again on YouTube that says cleaning vinyl records with wood glue disaster. Ah, yeah, okay, I remember nice. this all coming up before. This is all deja vu. Okay, yeah, the crazy well, thing is just how many in the suggested watching thing in the youtube colin how many other videos there are of people doing this Mm, yeah Hmm. it must work enough that you know one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve right off the bat i can see 12 other videos yeah people have done this cool so there you go all right well let's look at our poll of the week from our good buddy tom iovino at tomsworkbench.com and last week we asked the question does plywood belong in fine woodworking i think tom sometimes just he knows what buttons to push you know, with his uh, polls. Yeah, you ever go to lunch with the guy? Oh my god! <laughs> He's like, I, I see a button, I'm gonna push it. All right. So, uh, does plywood belong in fine woodworking? Forty six percent said you bet it does. Twenty five percent said depends on where it goes. Thirteen percent said who cares. Eleven percent said have we really determined what fine woodworking is? Uh, didn't Wood Talk do that a couple weeks ago? A couple. I was gonna say, like, yeah. isn't that topic already done and yeah. over with? I'm pretty sure we, we answered that definitive, definitive answer on that. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, no more needs to be said about it. Uh, and two percent, only two percent said absolutely not. Uh, so this week's question is: Have you ever dished out woodworking advice? Uh, Tom mentions how he started like learning everything he could from other people. And then next thing you know, people were asking him questions and then, then he's got a blog and, uh, and it just snowballed from there. So, um, you know, the woodworking world is like that. People like to share this stuff. So he's uh, curious, have you ever had the opportunity to dish out woodworking advice to someone else? Now, can we have a sub poll that is, have you ever dished out good woodworking advice? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Have you? And was it worthwhile? Uh, All right. Let's move into our kickback. This is where you send us some stuff related to things we said in the past. 
And I'll go first. This one here is from Brian. He says, you asked for feedback about what we thought in regards to framework and Ellen's design challenge show. I think they're awesome. For years, we've watched HGTV focus on zero VOC and building things uh, out of reclaimed materials where they show someone using a nail gun to tack a poor quality project together in a manner that is only going to last long enough for the cameraman to get the shot. As someone who builds furniture for a living, I despise HGTV because I get tons of calls from people wanting me to build something similar to that poor quality project they saw on TV or the latest design blog featuring reclaimed junk. I just don't want to put my name on something <clears throat> excuse me, something like that, and I usually turn the job down. I'm excited to see that both of these shows focus on a design aspect and using your imagination to build unique furniture instead of tacking together some junk with a nail gun. Uh, I'm also glad to see that the judges take quality into consideration during the judging process. These shows give me hope that the reclaimed fad will finally pass and customers will start emailing me with their imagination instead of their rotten fence boards to build something out of. Uh, Brian definitely has a specific opinion here. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure I know where he stands. Uh, he says, for, well, let, me, let me finish it off real quick. He said, for all those angry commenters that are mad that the shows are not going to into every little detail about technique, I must say that, uh, that, not, that, not, that not every woodworking show needs to be about the technique, entertaining, or about inspiration. Find the silver lining in that cloud. Take away <clears throat> that one idea and use your own imagination to figure out how to build it. Or even better yet, change it and build upon it and make it your own. When I watch these shows, I play along in my head and try to figure out what I would build in those circumstances. I think it's a great exercise for the design side of my brain. Heck yeah. That's some great feedback, actually. Yeah, thanks for that, Brian. And um, I'm sure lots of folks feel differently about reclaimed material, uh, but I see where he's going with that. It and if anybody wants to, uh, well, actually, you know, Brian sent something. I think it was to the guild. I think it was in the in the guild Facebook thing. And uh-huh. uh, the lovely Nicole left a comment that she really liked it, um, which I figure she's got pretty good taste. Although she likes some of your stuff too. She's very confused. <laughs> very confused. I wouldn't trust her at all. And, and Brian, just just I need, need to get this out there real quick. Uh, Brian is actually the one that helped me to design the tall dresser. In fact, he's the one that put together the awesome plans that we have available on, oh, on my website. He's my Aaron now. Nice. You have an Aaron. I, I do have an errand now, yes, except we don't have SketchUp drawings, but we're working on that too. <laughs> and the fun thing is, as I'm flip, flipping through the plans, I'm like, I came up with this? How did this happen? Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Sweet. Well, we have another kickback from Jonathan, and Jonathan says, I got to say, I'm glad I stepped away from my thoughts on drama TV and looked at the show for what it is. I'm excited every week to see the new designs and be inspired to look at a piece of furniture and brainstorm my own. A few times now, I've grabbed pencil and paper and played with designs as I watch. I encourage everyone to look past the drama and be inspired. Very nice. I'm glad to hear that feedback. Listening to uh, the interview with Brandon really kind of... I don't know. It allowed me to, uh, look, as, as Jonathan just said, look past the drama. Mm-hmm. And I watched an episode of Framework, uh, the one where they did the entertainment center. They had to, like, come up with a new way to do entertainment center. Yeah. Really good. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether the show just got better um, or I was able to kind of just tune out. <laughs> let let it be what stuff. it is. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, it's the way to, to put it. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm telling you, it's great. It's like the people who are, uh, I don't know, everybody's entitled to an opinion, but my goodness, this is mainstream television and it's about craftsmanship and woodworking and metalworking. And I just don't see the negative in it. I just don't see it. Well, like I said, I had my, I had my knee jerk reaction, but once I did step away and looked at it, I'm like, that was a stupid knee jerk reaction. This is actually pretty (laughs) decent. So yeah. Right. 
Oh, cool. All right. Well, we do have a voicemail, and this Ooh, one, yay. right? We don't get them that often anymore. What's up, people? Send some yeah, voicemails. We love them. Nobody uses the phone anymore. Well, it's like just, so 1950s. You know, we, we should definitely set up something to make it a little easier for people just to, you know, well, I guess they could just use the email and send us voice recordings from their phone. Do you guys know you can do that? Yeah, yeah I do it all the time. And then you guys keep like returning them saying, uh, please wrong stop. number. <laughs> <laughs> Spam. Uh, but we got a voicemail here from Ryan and he has a question about sandpaper. Hey guys, this is Ryan from Portland, Oregon. Um, hopefully this isn't too mundane a subject, but what is the deal with sandpaper? Um, it seems to be uh, every woodworker's trivia little secret, something they use on every project, but uh, don't talk about it ever. So I'm just wondering what you guys keep on hand, uh, what you use for little things that maybe you're not going to break out your random orbit sanders for, uh, and if there's anything I need to look for, um, or can I just go down to my local Ace Hardware and buy whatever they have on the shelf? And that's it. Thanks. Love the show. Bye. What's the deal with sandpaper? I was going to say, all I could think of was Seinfeld. <laughs> it's right. neither uses sand nor paper. <laughs> it's uh, so rough all the time. Yeah. Uh, never mind. Yes. What is the deal with sandpaper, guys? Um, well, I'll just quickly throw out a little self-promotion here. I've got a video on the Wood Whisperer website that you could check out called Sanding Efficiency. And uh, we'll put that link in the show notes. And basically covers the sort of fundamental information you need to know about the different varieties of sandpaper, which I don't think we're going to get into right here and now because uh, it's a little bit of a deep topic. Um, but there are some generalities that you can use to just buy some stuff and just always have that on hand. You don't need every type of sandpaper out there. Um, so yeah, definitely check that out. But in addition to that, what kind of sandpaper do you guys use generally? Uh, I mean, is it something you really give a whole lot of thought to? <laughs> a lot of times, like, oh crap, I'm out of two twenty. Let me go on Amazon and order whatever I could find. Actually, what, mine is whatever is on the shelf at the local home center. I, mm-hmm. I guess I haven't really paid that close attention to it. I think I might recognize like a three M name or something, but so probably no, it, either Norton it, or three M is usually what you're going to find at the the home center. Right, and I think it's usually three M. It's some sort of white box. I, I basically just look at the grit and go, "Yep, that's what I need." And then I walk out. Well, I pay for it. Then I walk out. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> Just in case. It's always good. <laughs> now, Shannon, being a hand tool guy, I'm sure you use a, not as much as other power tool focused people do, but I'm sure you still have some sandpaper in the shop. Oh, yeah. I haven't bought sandpaper in like four years. Yeah. And it's not because I use so little of them. And I don't use that much. But when I, let's see, when I bought a Rotex sander, a Festool sander, mm-hmm. there was like a... I don't know. It wasn't a special because Festool stuff's never on sale, but there was for some reason I bought like the big pack of 220 grit, like the really tall box yeah. that has like 300 sheets or whatever in it. <laughs> right. I'm still working on that. Nice. <laughs> I mean, truly, I I rarely go below 220. The hand tools kind of take care of that that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I pull it out for weird shape stuff, you know, curves and things like that that are harder to to hand plane. Um, I use more uh, sandpaper, obviously, on the lathe because I'm not a very good turner. <laughs> so I cover up mistakes there. But, yeah. you know, that's usually um, I've let's see. I bought a bunch of sheet sandpaper and cut it up into little strips for, you know, gosh, four years ago, maybe. And again, I'm still working on that. So mm-hmm. I bought it in bulk. The one thing I am specific about are those pads, like the 2,000, 3,000 grit pads right. for finish work. Um, I do keep those around. In fact, I probably need to get 
uh, some more. They're so fine that you can't really tell like when they've worn out. <laughs> I have a feeling it's just like, you know, I'm using my 3000 grit and it's probably more like just rubbing a soft cloth <laughs> just, on it now. Whatever the texture of the foam is. <laughs> I've had it for so long. Yeah. Those are awesome for in between, uh, in between coats and kind of knocking down any fuzz or whatever. Yeah, sure. Cool. You know what's really embarrassing to admit? I probably should. Maybe we should edit this out, but I think it's going to be a good joke for the three of us. So a while ago, Lee Valley had uh, like a whole bunch of uh, sanding pads that were for uh, for sale. I guess it was just like, I don't know, they're ir- slightly irregular, although they look regular to me. Uh, and you could just purchase them rather cheap. I bought them. But the thing is, I don't know what grits they are. And they're all variety grits. Like some are obviously a little bit coarser than others. So it's just like one of those, well, here goes nothing. (laughs) Hope for the best, I guess. I hate that when the sandpaper company, they they stamp the grit on the back, but they do it so sparsely that when you actually do cut up the sheet, like you can't flip it over and see what the grit is. (laughs) Because I I did cut up a lot of those sheets into just kind of small squares for use on the lathe. And... (laughs) I have no idea what well, some of that stuff is. The one it's good like you, thing you'll is you catch like part of an A and it's like, okay, what what grid is this? And you, you're standing there holding one and holding the other and like rubbing it against your face or something. You, know? <laughs> you don't, oh, you don't try to put it back smoother. together like a like a like a puzzle. And like oh, this right. right, yeah. Now the good thing that I like about uh the sandpaper I usually buy, which is the Norton three X, is it's color coded. So the paper, like it's either yellow or a reddish purpley color. Um, so if it's pretty obvious which piece I've got, and and you know like you Shannon, I only have a couple of grits. I mean I've got a big supply of random orbit sander pads all over the map, but for just the stuff I buy in boxes of like eight and a half by eleven sheets of sandpaper, I'm only buying a couple different grits. Uh, so if I've got you know 180, 220, maybe 150, I'm usually pretty happy with that, and the color coding is is super helpful. Um, you know there's Norton 3X that's good. I know there's a lot like if you get into like Klingspore, they've got a lot of varieties. If you can you know pour through their catalog you'll find some good stuff there as well um but yeah i just get my stuff on amazon and it's not a frequent enough purchase that i stress too much about it honestly you know and and there really is something to be said about getting really poor quality sandpaper for example i've told the story before about years and years ago when i first got into woodworking there was a traveling woodworking tool store that would literally set up a tent in a bowling alley Mm -hmm. down the road from us and they had like tons and tons of sandpaper and just like the crappy tools that they would sell they sold this crappy sandpaper that you would pick up the box and you could literally like the the sand would pour out of the box that was supposed to be on the paper (laughs) you know you used it once and you could see exactly where you used it not because there's like the sand you know the the wood uh dust on the paper it's because all the grit suddenly came off in that one area yeah that's actually a really good point when when we're talking about the longevity of this stuff you think oh it's a super expensive sandpaper i don't want to buy the best stuff but honestly in the long run i think the good stuff saves you money because you're just not going to need to to replace it as often it'll last longer on each project and you just won't need to buy it so much god yes yeah makes up for itself so all right, uh, I think that's it for the voicemail. Let's move into our emails. I've got one here from Nick. He says, hey, guys. He says, Mark, you make an occasional mention of filling the grain, especially with oak species, but I think you also did with the humidor. Can you speak on how this is done? Regular wood putty or plastic wood seems too thick to impregnate the small grain pores. What products specifically do you guys use? All right, so again, this is just one of those days where I have like answers to this on the website. Uh, <laughs> I'll put a link to the it's a video I did on how you rub out a high gloss finish 
And one of the things you need to do in most cases with most species before you start applying a thick coat of finish that you then buff into a high gloss, uh, you need to fill those pores because the pores are going to make it really problematic. If, uh, if you don't, you just see those little pore pockets and it takes forever to build up enough finish that those aren't a factor. So you want to pore fill. And the video actually does show you the pore filling process. You could see that. And for me, it's pretty straightforward. I usually like to seal the surface to some extent, either with a de-waxed shellac or even a lacquer. If I'm building up a lacquer finish, I'll just go ahead and use some of the lacquer. Uh, seal the, the, basically you're just sealing it to some extent, not, you, know, you don't need like three or four coats, just one light coat, sand it back a little bit so it's fairly smooth. And then I use Timbermate most times. Now Timbermate is a, a good wood putty. It's non-shrinking, it doesn't crack, it uh, is water-based, which is great, so if it starts to harden, you just add some water to it, uh, and the stuff lasts forever. The good thing about it is you could also dilute it down further with water and make a nice spreadable paste out of it, and if you do that, that's perfect for pore filler, so you're right. Something like that at full strength, right out of the bottle, is probably a little bit thick, and it would be wasteful to use that as a pore filler, but dilute it down, spread it on the surface, usually with one coat, you nail it. And the good thing with Timbermate is you could buy different species so it's the right color and matches, and it'll blend in real nice. Now, the other option is if you if you don't want to use something that has color to it, there are clear pore fillers out there. Aqua Coat is a good example, and this stuff is really, it's only intended as a filler, so you use it right out of the can, spread it on the surface, and both of these products, you're basically going to let it dry, you're going to sand it back so that you actually see the bare wood, and you're only leaving the filler in the pores, and then you could start building your finish from there. Uh, which is a pretty pretty straightforward process. Now, there's a couple variations. People prefer to do it. Some some people like the seal first. Some don't. Um, to me, that's the, the simplest way is what I just described right there. Uh, but definitely check out the video I put up. You'll get more information on the whole process and where it's going and what types of situations you might want to do the pore filling process because I don't think it's necessary or even appropriate for every situation. And that's all I have to say about that. Uh, is that it? That is all I have to say about that. Oh, okay. Well, that's good because when it comes to pore filling, I know nothing. So I'm going to go check out that article. Okay. You should watch that video, Matt. It's really good. Oh, it's, oh, it's a video. That's even better because I don't like to read. <laughs> you, sound awesome. like, you sound like someone on YouTube. <laughs> a YouTube commenter. I only, I only watch videos of Mark where he wears a blonde wig. You know, frankly, there's quite a few. <laughs> Take your choice. That's a little more frequent than you might expect. That's uh, unfortunate. That's All right. Well, now that indeed. I can't wash that out of my brain, let's move on to this question. Maybe this will help out. This one came in from Kyle, and Kyle says, I was wondering if there's a need to use a wide variety of different glues. I almost exclusively use Titebond 3 for everything from cutting boards to shadow boxes and haven't seen a problem. Is there something I'm overlooking? Thanks. Uh, you know, Kyle? No, I don't think so. I mean, sure, there are certain applications where maybe a more water-resistant, maybe waterproof glue or some sort of adhesive would work better. But quite honestly, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. My go-to glue for just about everything is like, say, like Gorilla Glue or it's just some sort of PVA, preferably something with a little water-resistant, which for the record, water-resistant is very much different than uh, waterproof. Now, a lot of people jumped on the boat when like the polyurethane glues were really starting to become popular. And unfortunately, I think we may have had some questions in the past. I know I've had it over at Matt's Basement Workshop where people are like, man, I was using this, you know, this particular polyurethane glue and it's horrible. It's messed up my project. What do I do? 
my first thought is always next time don't use it because <laughs> it, it definitely causes some problems uh, if you're not prepared for it. Does any but, glue have as bad of a wrap as polyurethane glue does? I don't think it, I've no, I don't think <laughs> right? there is. I mean, even even CVA glues are, are, are yeah, it's CVA, CA glues, CVA is CVA. a local. PVA. <laughs> they're going to say CVS CVA. for a minute. CVA. Yeah. You can tell my chemistry Cyano background really helped out. <laughs> I think even CA glues have less of a bad reputation than polyurethane does. Yeah. Well, and most people aren't really using CA to assemble full projects, but as like, you know, a general woodworking glue, like. From day one, polyurethane glue. I think I probably saw it the first time on an episode of New Yankee Workshop. I was like, whoa, look at that stuff. It must be cool because it's not the standard stuff, right? It's different. Uh, And then the next thing you know, you go online and from day one, you just hear, oh my God, that stuff is crap. Uh, I think there was a video of Sam Maloof saying how much he hates poly poly glue. (laughs) And it's like, I wonder how much their sales, like how their sales are doing. Like who's using poly glue? In fact, if anyone does use that, Give us some kickback. Let us know if you use it, if you like it. If you're the one person keeping that stuff on the shelf, we we want to know about it. You know who uses Haven't it a they, lot? Like kicked the foaming issue. Like there wasn't there some. I mean, that was the big thing when it first came out. I think is that it, still is an issue with it. Is yeah, it really still? Yeah, it's just the nature. I don't of know. The, I haven't touched the stuff since the first time it foamed on me. Yeah, it's the nature like, of that type I'm of glue. Out. Yeah, it always foams up, and people make the mistake sometimes of thinking that that foam is gap filling. I mean. You know, does actually fill the gap, but not in a structurally sound way. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah. problematic my, stuff. Well, my mother in law still purchases it, which is funny because I go to do a project and she's like, oh, here. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm going to make a run to the store and get some just regular white glue. Actually, do you have any Elmer's glue from when the kids were in school? Yeah, I'll I, use that. I just want to hear but, from people who say that it's it's not as bad as everyone makes it out to be. I know they have a nice new uh, cap now on the Gorilla Glue version. Yes, um, they do. Well, you know, it's funny because actually, well, anyways, let's, so let's move on with this one. I was, I was about to go to another tangent story about my first experience with polyurethane glue, but we'll save that for a blog post. Uh, really, when it comes down to it, I think the, the only time that you might be thinking about using other glues is perhaps uh, maybe one if you want to stay more historically accurate. That's where maybe like a hide glue or if you really need a big open time, there's some other glues out there that – Maybe you're doing like a bent lamination or something where you really want to have a lot more open time or maybe even uh, since I have never used epoxy, uh, there might be a reason to use it in there for strength and and the filling in the gaps and stuff. But quite honestly, my experience is so far just regular PVA glue works for the vast majority of the projects I've ever worked on. I'm dealing with a dog that's freaking out because of the UPS guy. Sorry. (laughs) He's running around. He's just, all right, knock it off. Go lay down. I I have a question. What was the magical plastic resin glue that David Marks always used for his bent laminations? Was that just like a, uh, Unibond it's, 5000 or whatever the stuff is. Unibond 5000. It's either Unibond 800 or Urac 185 were the, okay. the two formulations he used. <clears throat> the stuff like that like, came in the big jug of all the little crystals that like could kill you if you inhaled it. And- yeah. Yeah. And you know, they actually have Unibond 800 has a much more uh, environmentally friendly and uh, quite a bit safer formula now where they've actually reduced the amount of formaldehyde in the mixture. So it's not as bad, but I still use the stuff very fearfully. <laughs> I, I just don't remember him it. talking about like after the glue had dried, like be careful, you know, cut yourself on these sharp, you know, pieces sticking out. It's like, Oh, that sounds like a glue that I don't ever want to touch. Oh man, that stuff is, re- it's like brittle candy. So if imagine like just a layer of uh, peanut brittle that's been sharpened to a really razor sharp point. 
um, yeah, you can cut yourself really nastily on yeah, that stuff. Tear up your gums real fast. Show will. Yeah. Don't eat it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think for, I would imagine for most things, if he goes type on three, not every project goes outside. So you're paying more and you don't necessarily need to, but you've got that waterproof water resistant aspect to it. So I, I think most woodworkers could technically use type on three for everything from here on out and have no problems with it whatsoever. I mean, it sounds like that's the situation he has until he has a situation that he goes, oh, I need more uh, clamping time on this, or I need more, I don't know, something for bent lamination. I need a, a, a glue line that's not going to creep on me. It's only specialized situations that you might need to venture outside of that. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to think of a very specific one. I know it'll come to me after we get done recording, so mm-hmm. just leave it open. I'll, I'll throw it in. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. This comes from Jeffrey. He says, I'm wanting to begin a little carving. Letters to start, and I wanted your advice on what type of chisel to get. Well, here's the good news, Jeffrey. If you're going to do letters, you probably already have the chisels that you need. Um, there are a couple of schools of thought or, or of technique rather when it comes to letter carving, uh, one of which uses pretty much nothing but straight edged chisels. Uh, and the other, and, and I don't know whether, you know, quote, real wood carvers use one over the other, but the idea of being able to use a straight chisel to kind of slice your cuts, um, following along the line, slicing it with a straight chisel, that to me is how I started with letter carving. And I was able to cut just about every letter I needed using a straight chisel. Um, I did eventually, well, in that instance, and again, depending upon the numbering system, there's a British numbering system and a non-British numbering system that, you know, one... Uh, it only varies between the number ones and the number twos get past that and just say, I want a straight chisel. So I think you could either use a regular old bench chisel that you have right now, or if you wanted the added flexibility that comes from using an actual straight carving chisel, the double bevel actually does make it a little bit more agile and you can get into better, um, better spots. Also, you've got a lower bell angle generally that is really nice to have over your 30 to 35 degree bench chisel. The next one would probably be a skew chisel on number one S or in some instances they're again, they're numbered differently. Um, the skew chisel is nice because it can get into really tiny uh, parts. It's also good for serifs, uh, those little horn thingies on the, on the tops of letters that will go a long way. Um, probably, a V gouge, a five or six millimeter V gouge would be a good thing to have. And I would say one gouge, like a number four, probably in the six mil range again. And the idea here is you can, with a, a really, really sharp bend, like a number nine, almost like a, a, a U bend, you can't do an arc that you can do arcs that are tighter than the curve, but you can't do arcs that are wider than the curve. You can, with a a number four chisel, I can, you know, I don't know how to describe it, bend the curve a little bit just by not engaging the entire breadth of the chisel. And you can tighten that up and create tighter arcs with it. So if you bought a number nine, you've got very little versatility there. Whereas a number four, it's just a slight arc and you can do a lot of different curves with that. So say you were doing like the inside of the letter B uh, or an O, obviously there's quite a bit of curve there. 
the number four gouge can actually bend around that and follow that shape. Um, you can do the same thing with straight chisel, but obviously you'll have a little bit more success with something that's already round. So uh, a five or six mil V gouge, I'd say a five or six mil number four, and then uh, a straight chisel, maybe a couple of straight chisels, whether you use your bench chisel or the um, a dedicated carving chisel with a double bevel. Now, if you're really looking, this just brings up the other question of just kind of a good overall starting set of chisels. And I'm borrowing heavily from Mary May here. She's assembled a starting kit of gougers. She talked about it in our online uh, wood carving school. And this, I've, I've got these chisels and I've discovered that there's very little I can't do with them. So taking the, the V gouge, the straight chisel and the number four I already talked about, add to that uh, a couple of number threes. Um, well, three of them actually, uh, three, six and 14 millimeter number three sweep, a 14 millimeter number four, a six and 14 millimeter number seven, a six and 10 millimeter number eight. And that's it. Well, I, I say that's it. I mean, each one of these, depending on the brand can be 20 to $50. So that'll add up pretty quickly. But I mean, what are we talking about? Two, five, six, seven, eight, about 12 chisels total. Um, and there's very little you can't do with those 12 chisels. So starting with letter carving, couple of chisels, uh, add a little bit more here and there. And I think you'll find that you can do pretty much anything with that. You know, last night at about two in the morning, Jax had to pee and I let him out and he just paced around the house and I, I, I just couldn't go back to sleep. And I swear if I had the last five minutes recorded, and I could have listened to it at 2 a.m., <laughs> it would have put me right to sleep. It might just be because I'm not that interested in carving. So I, might, I don't want to be unfair. Actually, what I was just thinking is it sounded more like a Chinese food order than anything else I've <laughs> like ever the heard. Number four. In fact, right now I'm looking up <laughs> yeah. my local Chinese food restaurant to see exactly what those numbers are yeah, and if a, I want to order those because it's, good meal it's deals. dinner time. Yeah. Uh, the Whatever, other thing poor is. Poor filler. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that comes out of my mouth is boring. Um, here's the other thing. I'd be very curious to go to Wood Talk number 128, where Shannon answers pretty much the same question. Uh, might not be exactly the same, but in that episode, I think you did give a, a rundown on your recommendations on carving tools. So much like people nice. like to go and uh, look at, um, uh, what's what's your name, Matt? They go and look at Matt's opinions on saw stop early in the show and then compare them to like a couple years later. Uh, it's always fun to compare when we change our, uh, our, our thoughts on these things. Well, you know, my favorite part of what Shannon was just saying was just Mary May. So of course it <laughs> yeah, is. I, I just stopped right there. She's your girl. Um, yep. yeah, I'm just busting your, uh, your, your stuff, Shannon. You know, I love you. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> and this is why you got to show up for a weekend with Wood Talk because you get to watch this live. <laughs> oh, it's even better in person. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can certainly do that. We have recurring donations and one-time donations that you could do. Uh, just go to woodtalkshow.com. Look over on the left-hand side for those links. They'll be right there, and we appreciate your support. You can go to the Wood Whisperer store and get a Wood Talk t-shirt. Those are beautiful. And also, you could leave us a review in the iTunes uh, store. Just click on ratings and reviews. And if you can, give us that five-star rating like Latherm did. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, now, twice a week. He or she says, great, fantastic. The addition of the extra single topic show makes this podcast even better. These guys have a great knack for making even the complicated topics accessible and understandable. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you, Latherm. We appreciate it. You know, it, it gets harder and harder every year to make it better because it's already so awesome right now. It's it, hard to like 
make it better. Hey, we it set really the bar is. and then we have to exceed it. So, right. All right, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, or topic suggestion? Would you like to throw some moral support behind Shannon while his two co-hosts pick on him? <laughs> you can do that by several different ways. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And let's just spread the love a little bit more. We want to remind you that each of us has our own website. We have Mark, who has thewoodwhisperer.com, which is a fancy new looking website that's Hey-o. been up for just a little while now and looks awesome. Thank you. And then there's renaissancewoodworker.com, where you'll find all of the amazing stuff that Shannon talks about. And, of course, mattsbasementworkshop.com, which was the original awesomeness at an awesome level. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> and uh, what, what's your Patreon campaign? Let's mention that. Haven't talked oh, about well, that thank in a while. You. Uh, that's uh, patreon.com slash mattsbasementworkshop. And we actually just uh, tweaked the highest level. It was originally a little bit higher. And I said, you know what? I want more people to be able to afford this. So we brought it down. You can head over there, find out what the levels are, what's going on. And, in fact... You'll get some great bonus content at certain levels. And who doesn't want bonus content? Because it's awesome. There you go. Be a patron of the arts and support Matt. No, just be a patron of Matt's Basement Workshop. Don't worry about the arts. Screw the arts. arts. (laughs) Stupid arts. (laughs) Nice. All right. Well, have a great woodworking week, everybody. And we'll catch you next time. See ya. Bye.